Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. For those of you who are new to the podcast, blackthornsbotanicals.com has some great teas, ritual oils, magical candles, and more for the next bit. I know not everyone can get to the podcast right away. I'm going to put up a podcast-only coupon code code podcast all lowercase on blackthornsbotanicals.com for 20% off anything you find in the store try and help as best I can and and apparently Lilu agrees that's blackthornsbotanicals.com and offer code podcast all lowercase Hello, and welcome to the Blackthorn Grove. I am Amy Blackthorn. This is uh, an interesting show today that I have, I've wanted to do for a bit, and I'm, I'm glad I was able to find someone who feels the way I do and wanted to give us a conversation about it. Uh, Heather K. Beach has been a practicing witch for over 35 years and holds degrees in English literature and creative writing. She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2014, and since then has been exploring how best to modify our magical practice to support the ups and downs of this condition. A writer, reader, and knitter, and a Taylor Swift fan, she lives with her husband and cats in beautiful High Peak of England. Visit her online at heathwitch.com and at heathwitch on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, welcome to the show. <laughs> how are you doing? Thank you. Hello. Hello. Thank you. I'm so tickled we're able to do this. Oh my goodness. Uh, what do you want to tell us about yourself? before we jump into the, the meaty bits. Oh, I guess um, I always thought my witchcraft practice would be s- somewhat stable. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't necessarily, you know, we have flux, we have change, changes are constant, these things happen. We you know, we work in line with the seasons and things, but I honestly wasn't expecting it to change as much as it has done since getting really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived with a chronic illness most of my life, undiagnosed. Um, so in 2014, I got really sick and uh, was later diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And also another neurological condition that not a lot of people have heard of called transverse myelitis, um, which is similar, but not the same as MS. And they've both brought rather unique challenges to my witchcraft practice and what I thought was stable. um, I guess it was was just a case of don't take it for granted. Yes, yes, absolutely. and even, you know, after you've been doing this for a while, because I've been doing this now for most of my life, um, you know, even then, the gods, the universe, your your body, your health can still surprise you. Oh, yes. Even if you're on a magical journey. It's really interesting how, not just the pagan community, but, you know, our, our culture and in, in more greater scale takes for granted that we have the ability to move about through our uh, our lives when being handicapped is 
really one of the few groups you can join at any time and you have no control over that. Indeed, indeed. It's one of those where it's like, oh, I am now a disabled person. Hmm. And, you know, if you become a disabled person through illness, through accident, injury, um, if you're, you know, uh, if you have any sense of identity before that happens, then your sense of identity gets thrown completely on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you're not only grieving the health that you had and the life that you had, but you're also trying to juggle and get your head around, what does this mean for me now? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so many ways that uh, that comes into play. So, you know, thinking about what impact does this have on my relationship, on my career, on my day-to-day living, et cetera. And I don't feel that enough people think about what would happen if I became disabled what would happen to my spiritual practice? Absolutely. Um, what would happen to all the things that I take for granted in terms of magical or spiritual practice, witchcraft practice, um, ranging from the, the small things like preparing offerings, if you give offerings to your ancestors or a deity, um, through to larger things like getting to an accessible part of a woodland for ritual for example um so there's a lot of small deaths when you get diagnosed there's a lot of grieving and by small deaths i mean things like you know the person you were the lifestyle you had you know some of those things you might be able to reclaim some semblance of i don't want it to be all doom and gloom because it's not um but there are moments when it's like, ah, yeah, lots of things that I assumed would always be the case. Um, you've got to let go. Yeah. And you've got to think of, of new ways around how do I do this? Absolutely. Because um, you, you get that part of you that's like, sees what you were capable of and keeps trying to aspire to that level and you can't do it so it's like okay am i broken am i not good enough like what and the the potentially (laughs) well-meaning people who are like oh well this is some sort of lesson for you and that's that's just crap it is it is crap because you know at the end of the day our our bodies are natural things and we have wear and tear and damage, just like anything else. Um, you know, so uh, when I was um, diagnosed, I had I had my multiple sclerosis diagnosis and my transverse myelitis diagnosis in the same conversation with the doctor at five o'clock in the morning. Oh goodness! Uh, whilst on morphine. <laughs> Um, after having been shuttled between different hospitals all evening, mm. um, all night. And, um, you know, the previous week I had been to two different weddings 
in different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. I had driven up and down motorways, highways. Um, I had danced. I was in a lot of pain, but I still kept going. And then I got really wobbly one day at home, really unwell. I collapsed. We needed an ambulance. They thought at first that it was called at equina syndrome which is when a disc in your lower back impacts your nerves and mm. there's only a very short time frame before you become permanently paralyzed um and it wasn't that after they scanned me put me through the mri machine um it wasn't that it was ms and transverse myelitis and they started me on steroids and i remember the first time they gave me a neuropathic pain medication and I started to cry because of the relief that I was feeling because standard over-the-counter pain relief that you would take for a headache or muscular pain wasn't hitting it so when they finally gave me the good stuff <laughs> um, it made me cry but then we also had other things like I had to relearn how to balance on my feet, standing up. I had to relearn how to walk because the nerve damage in my back means that I only have intermittent control over one of my legs. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of sensory difficulties um, in my legs. So, you know, there's been instances of making myself a cup of tea and accidentally splashing myself with scalding boiling water and not feeling it. <laughs> um, so there's, there's certain things that I've had to relearn how to do that have been very basic. And there's other things that have been more surprising in terms of becoming a disabled person and actually finding that there's good things. Um, like for instance, here in the UK, a lot of the concert venues and theatre venues, now that we're opening back up again in the world, um, they actually do, um, carer goes free. So if you're going to an event and you need a carer, most often my husband occasionally a best friend yeah um they get a free seat nice so it like halves the price of your ticket cost in effect because there's two of you going for the price of one and that's meant you know I've been able to see things and experience things that I perhaps wouldn't have been able, been able to before due to finances right so there's 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 good there's good things as well um but you know it's been, it's been eight years. Um, incidentally, next week is MS Awareness Week in the UK. Um, that's end of April. And um, it's been on my mind a lot what's happened in the past eight years. Um, and there's still some things I can't get used to. Like I have to use a wheelchair when we go out because mm -hmm. I get tired so easily. Um, and... I miss little things like being able to walk next to my husband as opposed to him pushing the chair. Right. So, you know, there's, there's pros and cons. Um,
But in terms of witchcraft, whew, I wasn't expecting it to impact my magical practice as much as it has. So when I was diagnosed, I was part of a, a coven. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the coven dissolved by the time that I actually was back on my feet and able to participate again. So I became a solitary practitioner. So that was a, a bit of a jolt yeah. uh, on top of diagnoses. Um, but, you know, I was... I was your stereotypical go out at two o'clock in the morning to the local woodland, which, um, you know, I would be there. I'd have a rucksack and inside it, there would be various magical tools that I felt I would need or, you know, collection pots for leaves, berries, roots, whatever, you know, and I would go out at all hours of the day and night into the local woodland and uh, trek the old paths go places where humans don't normally walk you know oh that looks like a badger trail let's follow it Mm -hmm. um that sort of thing um and suddenly it was a case of oh I hadn't appreciated how much mother nature is not wheelchair friendly yeah um so that became a I will now start doing ritual in my back garden, which is heavily overlooked by the other houses. <laughs> um, so that was that was entertaining, to say the least. Because even then, you know, um, if I'm not in my wheelchair, I'm using a walking stick. Mm-hmm. Um, in the UK, we have the wonderful National Health Service and they provide you with all kinds of tools and gizmos and stuff um to basically function so things like walking sticks and mobility aids um I had to self-finance my wheelchair Mm -hmm. but they gave me a walking stick and it was it's black and it's plastic and it's plastic coated steel and it's not very it's not very attractive (laughs) so a good friend of mine from the Glastonbury area here in the UK um made me a, a walking stick out of, out of his blackthorn incidentally hedge um so I now have this beautiful walking stick which is uh 100% blackthorn and the perfect height for me um but it does mean that you know if I'm going out into the back garden at night to do some kind of ritual I've always got one hand busy yes so you suddenly realise that if your hand is on your walking stick and your other hand is carrying ritual supplies, how are you going to open the door? <laughs> yeah. You know, little little things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are, those are small things that have been... Things that I would never have thought about before. Never. And if you become a, a, a wheelchair user, whether it's an ambulatory one, someone that uses a chair intermittently, or someone who's in a chair full time, you suddenly become fascinated wherever you go with dropped curbs. <laughs> and you're like, can I get my wheelchair up that curb or am I going to need assistance? And I hate um, needing the assistance. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. 
so do I. And it's so, sometimes the dropped curbs aren't really dropped. Um, so it's a case of, yes, we can, we can go up it, but you will have to, we will have to take you backwards. Yeah. And that is one of the most humiliating things ever. Um, and it's still something I'm, I'm not quite used to. Um, when that happens, it just makes me, I feel very small when things like that happen. Um, you know, disabled people, we wheelchair users predominantly, we, we talk a lot about the impact of having to use a chair um, when you are diagnosed or when, when your illness or condition gets to the point where you need a chair. Mm -hmm. um, and it is a very humbling experience suddenly being, you know, going from standing up and walking to being in a chair. Um, I find, I find it's quite humbling. And some of the other wheelchair users I've spoken to have said similar. Um, and it just, it does something to your self-esteem, your self-confidence. Um, and that, of course, also impacts your magical practice. Because we need a certain amount of confidence and poise to be in circle or to be in ritual. Yeah. And it can be really hard to do that if you're sitting in a wheelchair. And it can be really hard to do that even if you're sitting on a regular chair or standing up briefly, if you can do that. Um, and retaining that self-confidence that you used to have when in circle, that poise, that posture can be very difficult to maintain um, if you have the sorts of conditions that I do. Um, I have spoken to other disabled pagans who have lost their eyesight or their hearing or a limb and they've all said you know that the confidence takes a massive beating mm -hmm. and for a while the amount of energy that you can put into your magical practice decreases sharply yeah because not only is your energy system then impacted because we've got all this stuff going on at a physical level your energy system gets impacted as well. And your ability to actually raise, hold, contain, send out, transmute, whatever it is you're doing energy-wise um, becomes more challenging or different to what you're used to. Um, and things that you, things that I, found that would never have caused me such exhaustion before suddenly were really exhausting so you know I had to go back to basics and go okay so this is how I cast a circle this is how I call in my deities the elements my ancestors whatever I had to go back to basics and go this is how I used to do it instinctively this is how I would do it however you know and I spent weeks just relearning how to call each of the elements in turn or how to raise and manipulate energy again and send it out because my energy system was whacked. 
want of a better term. Um, I, I don't know how that sounds in terms of your experience, Amy. Um, it's very similar. Uh, my first degree, instead of being an ambulatory wheelchair user in my ritual space, doing the, the things that those of you who have gone through first degree initiations would you know maybe understand where this is going. But in, they sat me in, an, in a tall office chair because there wasn't room for my wheelchair in the ritual space. And they sort of just dragged me around the circle from place to place. Oh. Like, that that was a definitely an experience, um, not one I'm uh, looking forward to ever repeating. Uh, people think that you know their their effort should be good enough, and in a lot of cases they are, but it's not the same as being able to be under control of your own person. I I became disabled in two thousand and two. And relearning to walk four times and having these individual pieces of my ritual practice ebb and flow because of my, uh, the nature of my injuries was really interesting because my, my high priestess at the time was an emergency room nurse. So when, I don't even know how she found out I was, I was in a coma. So somebody called her, someone informed her what was happening. And when I woke up, she was there and half my coven was there and everyone wanted to jump in and, and fix the problem. And it's like, I, I appreciate the amount of help and care and effort that this takes, but also this is a, this is a long recovery, not just a, I have sick and you can bring me chicken soup. It's the the day to day things that I'll need help with that I would really appreciate some some time and some attention with some some care. I was in my um, I was multiple years into this coven's group practice and working towards becoming a member of the clergy, and I wanted to do these things. So my the the that's not a thing one of the people in my coven was able to bring me a laptop and, and a little phone cord so I could plug into the internet because the Wi-Fi wasn't a thing yet. And uh, I was, I had broken both my arms and both my legs and my pelvis and my face and collar, but I broke everything. And to think back to wanting this so badly, I had the nurses pile up a pile of pillows in my in front of me and i'm typing out my lessons with a pencil in my mouth wow like yeah. these are the things that we don't get to share with people they just they think about the the inspiration of it and then like they move on with their lives this is our every day yeah yeah and now i write awesome books so <laughs> that you do that you do yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I found, I was, I was very lucky when I got uh, diagnosed because obviously we have the National, National Health Service, um, mm. which means, you know, we, we pay through our taxes for healthcare, but it's, it, on, in essence, it's quote unquote free. Um, um, so, you know, there's that. I was blessed with a lot of support. The neurological rehabilitation team were amazing. 
But I also found that it was too much too soon. Mm-hmm. You know, be- before I had even, I was in hospital for about a week or so um, while they tried to get my uh, MS into manageable levels and uh, <laughs> and had me on steroids and all kinds of things. And, mm. you know, before I'd even left the hospital, I was I was enrolled for a course on time management and pacing and energy. I was enrolled on a on a on a Pilates course for balance and standing and and basic mobility. Um, I had a neurological rehabilitation psychotherapist coming to see me um, to make sure that I was neither too happy nor too sad regarding my diagnosis. Um, you know, and I remember speaking to nurses and say and them saying, you know, oh, you must be you must be devastated. And I'm like, no, actually. We know what it is now. We know why I've been sick. We know what's going on. This means I can learn about it and rejig my life so that I can live the best life I can within these new limitations. Um, and that response wasn't the right response. Apparently, <laughs> of course, it wasn't. I should. You know, I should have been devastated by this news. Um, and, you know, part of me was, part of me was, part of me was like, oh my God, what does this mean for, you know, for my marriage, for my, for my social life, for my work life, you know. Um, but part of me was also like, okay, we know what it is. We know what the treatment plan is. Let's just, let's just deal with it. Yeah. And the nursing team were like, she's taking this a bit too well. <laughs> we think she's too depressed to be able to cope so we're definitely getting the psychotherapist in you know and I was just like I appreciate I came to appreciate the psychotherapist so much she was this tiny little battle axe of a woman and she was absolutely amazing and we did some really good work together and, and it and it was it was really really helpful but I was like aren't you supposed to get assigned to people who are like shocked upset you know um very depressed with the news that they've got these lifelong life-limiting conditions and she's like yes and I said so why did you get assigned to me because I'm relatively okay and she's like yeah give it a month they said the same thing to me oh my god yes they're like oh you're you think you're okay now but with that little weird mewling like self-congratulatory yes. speech like oh yeah we, we know we know where this is going well that's great because yeah. I don't yeah about a month later I had a session and she was like how are you and all I did was sit and cry yes for the whole the entirety of that session and the session after that and the session after that all I did was just like cry and panic um and just generally freak out and one of the things I found that this was the thing that really like knocked me was not mm-hmm. necessarily the diagnoses, but the assumption that certain people in my life would be there for me through this. That's cute. And they weren't. And certain people who I thought they're not going to be bothered showed up at the hospital with books you know what what can we bring our witchy friend who's in hospital let's bring her books that was a really good idea 
you know they they turned up with books they turned up with soft toys they 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 turned up with with candy with chocolate you know and I was just like but all we do is hang out maybe once a month over drinks and they were like yeah but you're going through this versus people who I was incredibly close to who can't handle it never showed never showed um and that really knocked me that was the thing that I was really struggling to grapple with more than more than the the diagnoses more than the 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 changes to my lifestyle to my um identity to my magical practice you know I'm sat in hospital doing energy work to try and get the um energetic alignment of my spine flowing um more consistently while my brain is going off on one about someone who I've known for 20 odd years, never contacting me, despite them knowing what was going on, yeah. you know? And it was just like, okay. So not only do I have to reassess who I am, what my life looks like, what my relationships, relationships look like, what my, uh, treatment plans look like on a daily basis I also have to you know get my head around how my relationships with people have changed um and that that was really difficult that was that was the one that I think I spent most of my allocated hours in the neuro rehab psychotherapists sessions talking about what I had expected of people versus what actually happened and I was very grateful for the people who just randomly showed up mm -hmm. you know my my bestie was 200 miles plus away and she was on the phone with me multiple times a day you know checking in do you want to do a meditation together down the phone she's a witch too you know um it, what are we doing magically to support you right now those sorts of things she also told me off because um, whenever I'm in hospital, even if I'm sick, I have a habit of holding space for the staff. So someone would come and change my IV and I'd be like, hi, how are you doing? You look a bit rough. And they'd be like, oh, you know, it's just, it's turning into a bit of a rough day, etc." And I'd be like, do you want five minutes just to, you know, Good sit person. and chat with me and just, just, tell me what's going on and I will hold it for you and then when you're gone I will let mother earth take it etc and my bestie's like you should not be doing this work while you're in hospital getting better and I'm like but there's only so many crossword puzzles I can do mm -hmm. in response you know um yeah. you know and and I've been in hospital since uh since I was diagnosed my Everybody with multiple sclerosis, transverse myelitis, any neurological condition has different triggers um, as to what makes their symptoms worse. And one of mine is heat. Mm -hmm. So the past two summers I have been hospitalized because the temperature has got above the um, level that my central nervous system can tolerate. Um, and... So two summers back, it was a flare up of the neuropathic pain in my spine. 
that we could not get under control. And then last summer, it was undiagnosed pain, which we then later found out to be my gallbladder. Um, and because of the way my central nervous system sends signals around my body now, um, it, for people who are thinking, what the hell is she talking about? Um, if you imagine your spine, your central nervous system, your nerves going up and down your back, um, being like a three or four way motorway or highway. Um, and all the cars that's zipping up and down that are the electrical impulses that your brain sends that says, move your hand, smile, whatever. Um, then what happens with both transverse myelitis and multiple sclerosis is you get damage to the nerves in your spine and, your, and areas of your brain. And when you get damaged to the nerves in your spine, it's like there's roadworks on one of those lanes of that highway. And your car either can't get past them or has to take a longer route round. Um, so I have all these interrupted signals in my body. And that makes things very interesting because, you know, simple acts like I will make a cup of tea can make you more tired. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> because your nerves, the electrical signals going up and down your nerves are having to take a longer route round. Um, and that, that can be challenging and it's always different every day. How my body chooses to handle <laughs> those things are different every day. So some days it might be making a cup of tea has meant I then have to sit down for five minutes afterwards. Other days it's, I can make a cup of tea and then clear out the entirety of my wardrobe and not break a sweat. <laughs> yeah. But when heat for me, some people with, M with MS will understand exactly what I'm talking about here. Others will go, oh, it's, it's cold. It's the extremity of cold for me. Um, when it's, for me, when, it's, when it gets warmer, my central nervous system has to work harder. It's almost like those cars get slowed down. You know, they've not pro they've probably not got the right weather tires on or something. Um, so my symptoms are exacerbated. My, my pain levels increase. Um, and something that might be something, you know, small that's just niggling away in the background like a, like a tiny gallstone suddenly becomes a much more massive problem. Um, so when I've ended up in hospital the last few summers, I've been like, right, how do I adapt my magical practice to being in hospital? Um, and for some witches and pagans, being in hospital you don't want to call, you don't want to call attention to yourself. You're just like, you might still be in the closet, the broom mm -hmm. closet. You might be, you know, a relative newcomer to the craft. You might be someone who does not want to answer any questions about their magical practice. It's very private. Yeah. For me, it's all the bells and whistles, <laughs> right? So, 
both both times I've been hospitalised for nearly three weeks over the summer for the past two summers. This summer we're aiming for zero weeks. Um, <laughs> but for the past two summers, it has literally been a case of whenever my husband has been dropping off um, pajamas for me, underwear, fruit, that sort of thing. It's also been a case of right. I think now's a good time to reread Traditional Witchcraft by Gemma Gary. It's on the second shelf down in the witchcraft section in the home office. Or it's or it's been right, okay. So I, I need the Llewellyn 2021 Witch's Companion. It's by the bed. <laughs> I need I, I will reread Gardner while I'm here, you know? And it's been, you know, on, on the side of the bed has been like this in the hospital has been this stack of books and one of them is a novel and the rest are all witchcraft related. Um, and it's been, I will set up some kind of small altar. Mm -hmm. Usually I take, I use crystals for this because crystals are great in hospital. People just think they're pretty rocks, um, you know? So I would take in something for protection, usually uh, something like black tourmaline, black obsidian, smoky quartz, something like that. Um, and then I might take in something for healing and customize that related to how I, what I'm there for. <laughs> so um, I was like, last summer in particular, because it was very warm, I was like, I am going on Etsy and I am buying all the smoke, all, all the snow quartz I can possibly find. <laughs> and I'm going to do a little crystal grid of snow quartz and aquamarine by the oh. side of the bed to try and get me to cool down because if we can get my central nervous system to cool down we've got a chance of them being able to work with it to get me healthier to get me out of hospital yeah um and i was hoarding salt like no tomorrow so i don't know this is something i wanted to ask you actually amy was when you're in hospital in the States, mm -hmm. I over here in the UK, they bring you food to your bedside. Mm -hmm. And usually that includes things like you'll get a little packet of salt, a little packet of pepper. You'll get, you know, some water, whatever else. Is that the same? It sounds like a really basic question. But is, <laughs> is that the same in the US? Is that how they do things there as well? Yeah, the trait. It's really neat. They've got these like three inch thick plastic domes to try and keep everything at least to room temperature <laughs> as they wheel this yeah, giant yeah. cart of doom into your your pod um, of, of rooms there. So it's interesting what they'll do and what they won't do because a lot of times you don't get water. They'll send like juice or milk or something with some nutritive value to it. I'm like, yeah, but can I just have water? Like, I <laughs> But it's really funny because they try really hard to make sure everybody's um, specific needs are met, but really big things like I haven't I haven't been a beef eater since ninth grade, you know, 14 years old. I haven't, it's not mm -hmm. a thing. And so I keep having to remind people like, yeah, that's, that's, that's great, but I don't eat that. That's not a thing that I eat, um, which mm -hmm. was really yeah. difficult. My very first day in the hospital in, in 2002, I had they had me in a medically induced coma for a day. And so I'm sort of 
not really with it. All my people are like coming in and out and, you know, people going out to smoke cigarettes or whatever they do. Well, while there's a lull, they sent a man in to feed me my breakfast because um, both my arms are broken, both my legs are broken. Like I'm not doing this with my toes here. And, mm. uh, and this man is trying to feed me some beef thing. And I'm trying to explain to him, like, I don't eat that. Well, you're going to eat it because I'm here. No, that's, that's like, he's trying to force feed me something that I don't eat. Like, no, no one's listening. I can't call for my little button because both my arms are broken. I had to wait until someone who knows me and couldn't enforce my, my boundary of no and get this man out of my room. So the, the food things were all really interesting. It's just the, the level of, I know better than you do about your own body and your own system really upsets me. Bodily autonomy is like the top of my list. And mm, yeah, if you yeah. can't honor that, then we have a problem. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, I, I found that I was, I, it's amazing what you can do as a witch with just, if you've got some water, mm-hmm. if you've got some salt, and if yep. you've got some black pepper, <laughs> then you're kind of sorted in terms of things that you can do magically whilst you're in hospital. Um, and I was like, I'm just saving all of the condiments, all of the condiments, because then in the evening, if I felt like it, I would have the curtains pulled around my bedside and then I'd be like, right, okay, we're going to do a very quick salt protection circle. Or, hmm, someone's really annoying me on the ward. Let's do a really quick banishing of negativity spell and basically F off <laughs> with this pepper. Yeah. So it, it, you, have to, you have to really think on your feet, even mm. if you're not on your feet um, when you're in hospital, when it comes to magical practice. And also, I mean, boundaries is a big thing. For disabled people massive massive thing and boundaries are a massive thing in magic but you also then have to kind of go okay so where i would not necessarily have had a boundary before i do now and the concept of informed consent mm-hmm. suddenly rockets up your priority list <laughs> um because you know, like, like you're saying, you know, that there's things that you can't do for yourself. There's things that you need help with, you know? Um, I mean, two summers back when I was in hospital, then um, I couldn't, I couldn't wash my hair. I Mm -hmm. couldn't have, I couldn't stand to have a shower. Even sitting to have a shower, I was just like kind of lilting off the chair because my spine wasn't strong enough to hold me up because the nerves couldn't do their jobs properly. Um, So it's like arranging with the nursing staff when's good to have a shower and have assistance while you're in the shower. And, you know, you just know, if you go to the bathroom on your own, and you end up falling. The last thing that you're thinking about is the amount of paperwork the poor nursing and doctoral <laughs> staff have to do. 
because you've fallen. The first thing you're thinking of is, damn it, that's going to be another 48 hours in here at least. Because they'll be like, well, we need to make sure you've not had any falls in a certain amount of time before you leave the hospital. Um, so if you get someone who's doddery on their feet, like I am, <laughs> chances of falling is fairly high. <laughs> Especially when you start pumping me full of various medications. Um, and I think one of the things that really annoys me that I've come to realize that has annoyed me about the whole informed consent issue being a disabled witch is people want to help they do they want to help you but often they will act before thinking about it you know they will if you're in your wheelchair they will move you out of the way oh. <laughs> thinking they're helping and it's like no you are not helping this is this is really bad the chair isn't this is kidnapping body <laughs> this. yeah this is you know this, this my chair is an extension of my body you can't just move me according to your will mm -hmm. even if you think i will have a better spot in circle here versus over there this we, no yeah um and what I wish people would understand, what I wish non-disabled people would understand about the disabled experiences is you can't make assumptions for what we need. No. You can't. Every disabled person is different. Um, just because one thing works for your disabled aunt doesn't mean it's gonna work for me. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that what works for me is gonna work for you, Amy. You know, there's, everyone is different and it doesn't take much if you are in a magical setting or a mundane setting to actually say, how can I best help you? What do you need? And then wait for the answer. And wait for the answer <laughs> and listen to the answer. Listen to the answer is critical and don't get stroppy because the answer might be not what you expected. Um, one of the hardest things for me because I was incredibly independent before I got sick was asking for what I need um, to the point where one of my besties was threatening to wear a name badge that said ask for what you need on it in big letters whenever she was with me to remind me to say hey I can't stand in this queue for this long. Can, can, we get, can we get me a chair? Can we use my wheelchair today? Can I go and sit in a cafe while you do this bit? While you stand in this queue and get the tickets, the, the groceries, whatever it is we're doing. Um, you know, hey, you know, I'm a disabled person. I, I sometimes have bathroom requirements urgently. I know you do not advertise having a bathroom because you are a clothes shop. However, please, can you help me? You know, things like that are difficult, but you have to learn to ask for what you need. And that applies in magic as well. Um, you know, 
one of the things I did not expect was the cost of my magical lifestyle to increase. So in the past, for example, if I bought a pomegranate as an offering in the darker side of the year, I would probably get that pomegranate and I would probably chop it open, scoop out the seeds, make something with it, etc. put it on my altar, yeah? A pomegranate is a lot cheaper than a bag of pre-harvested pomegranate seeds. But as a disabled person who has got tremor, who has got tremor, um, handling a knife, not the wisest thing in the world, um, so buying the bag of pre-harvested pomegranate seeds is the right answer here, but it cost me three times as much. Mm -hmm. And that was something I didn't expect as an added, you know, expense on top of the expense of, become, of, of living as a disabled person. Um, you know, in, in the UK, various surveys have been done and you know it costs on average just shy of 600 pounds extra per month to live as a disabled person that's before we get as far as what do i need for my magical practice is my you know witchy I mean? store on the corner wheelchair accessible yes yeah in 2009, I walked into Treadwell's, it was their old location. And even just being a person with a cane at that point, there wasn't room for me to maneuver in between shelves. Uh, I haven't been to any location. I, I see it's lovely, um, but it's- really, I remember the old shop. Right, it's it's so closed in and the floors weren't uneven. Pokey, and, yeah. Uh, we don't think about what these things look like when we're able-bodied you know it's only until it, obviously it, it affects us that we stop to look at see how much things change i mean just even the wheelchair accessible bathrooms aren't they're probably a third of the time aren't actually wheelchair accessible they're just a little bit longer indeed like, yeah how how can you call this wheelchair accessible if i can't get me and my wheelchair into this booth yeah one, one of my favorite things in uh, wheelchair accessible bathrooms is the bin that is foot operated yes yeah I'm just gonna like, wheel oh, over that thing yeah it's, it's a good job that I'm an ambulatory wheelchair user because if I was paralyzed then how the hell am I supposed to operate the bin mm -hmm. I had an extra and... issue my wheelchair use so here in the US, you're you just they just throw you to the sharks. So I had to yeah. call my family, call my call anybody I knew and see if someone had a wheelchair that I could use. So the wheelchair that I used for probably the first five years was created and, and manufactured in probably 1970. <laughs> I had to have my left leg elevated, couldn't have it down by my feet. So I've got a little battering ram out of the front of my wheelchair. And uh, obviously that makes it, that changes the dimensions for getting in and out of theoretically handicapped access bathrooms. They, they assume the footprint of what a chair looks like and build it around that. And it's like, that's, that's not a thing because people do come in, in all shapes and sizes. So 
this standardized measurement that you're working with doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. It's got to be something that is truly accessible. And a lot of them weren't. Mm -hmm. uh, I was really lucky with having my coven so involved in my care um, during the my first hospital stay it was um, from October 2nd to January 2nd, uh, which meant that I was in the hospital over Salon mm -hmm. for Yule, for New Year's. These pretty significant holidays um, in a lot of spaces. So I was not in the broom closet because my coven was there before I was even awake. <laughs> There's, they had no shot, um, but it was okay because my, my family all knew. My, my partner mm. knew and everybody, everybody was on the boat. Um, but because of the significant amount of pain that I experienced, um, we were, we're talking 50, uh, oh, it's just very high numbers that are, are scary. I was actually able to have a room by myself because of the, the pain that I was in. They, they didn't want to subject anyone to my wailing. Um, hi, Millie. Um, it was very interesting, but my high priestess was able to talk to my, my nursing staff and the, the people who were assigned to me. And we were actually able, because I had a private room to do our Samhain ritual in my hospital room. Oh, wow. So we closed off the door. We told the, you know, we told the nursing staff, like, we're going to be busy for maybe an hour in here. You know, if there's any problems, if you have any concerns, like ask me now, like, we'll talk about this. They made sure I had my medication beforehand. They made sure everything was good. So they, they would not have to bother me for that hour. And it was really beautiful to have someone say, okay, you're, you're valid. Let's, let's go. Here you go. Have, have a nice day. Um, because when I, the first couple of days I had been there, they sent in the, the hospital chaplain who's supposed to be able to talk to everybody. But of course, he's a Catholic priest or, um, you know, whoever else was in rotation at that time. And they are supposed to have the priest go through all your personal belongings and make sure that you have what you need, but there's nothing like questionable in there. He brought my pentacle necklace to me to my, to my people, have them bring it for me. Wouldn't you know, the, once he found out that I was a witch, somehow the, the cash in my wallet disappeared, I guess, into the, the coffers of the church. That was, <laughs> but uh, it was, I was really lucky that even after I was able to say like, this guy should not be back in my room. We're not doing this. This, we're going to save you because you died thing. No. Okay. I, I died. I know, I know it's going to happen after I die again at some point. Uh, we do not need to have these conversations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I looked out last year, last year, year before, year before. Um, I was, we had, I was on a, a, a female ward in, in the hospital and pandemic and everything else blah 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 meant we also had a a lady in there who was also very very mentally ill and uh, she was very challenging on the ward with everybody whether you were patient or staff everybody and uh 
I'd had a day when she'd done nothing but swear at me the entire afternoon. And I was like, in a minute, pain or no, I'm going to get up and going to do something <laughs> I regret. Um, so instead, I found the number for the hospital chaplain service and rang them. And I said, hiya, I could just do with a conversation with somebody, please, because I'm finding my ward a bit challenging. And I would like to go over more compassionate options for how I handle this. Um, and they said, yeah, okay, not a problem. Blah, 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 we, where are you, etc." Went through all that, etc. And I said, um, just out of interest, you don't have any pagans on rotation, do you? And I said, no, 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 no. Some of the hospitals we have in the UK do, um, but this one did not. And I said, oh, okay. And the voice on the end of the phone said, why? And I said, oh, because I'm a witch. And there was this silence. <laughs> And then the voice said, well, someone will be up in the next 15 minutes. I said, okay, fine. And this very nice priest came to see me, Christian priest. And he sat at the end of the bed and we had a bit of a chat. And then he suggested we go for a short walk to one of the visiting rooms that was now out of commission because no visitors allowed because of COVID. Um, so we hobbled down there, me on my stick, him keeping pace with me, etc. And we got in there and we sat down and we could have a more private conversation. And the first words out of his mouth were, we had to draw straws <laughs> who was coming down. And I said, oh, that bad. And he said, no, we all wanted to meet you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And for the rest of my stay in the hospital every day, I had a member of, of chaplaincy come and see me because they all wanted to talk witchcraft and understand it better. And I was really blessed, really blessed. And um, there was a, a female uh, Christian priest who came to see me, uh, Vicar, and um, she was like, I've noticed we have a full moon on Friday. What do you need? And I was like, to be honest, hadn't really given it much thought. I'd got as far as I'm meeting the pain team on Friday so that was my focus and she was like no seriously what do you need and I said I, 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 I don't know off the top of my head because I haven't really planned much and she was like well give it some thought we've got a couple of days tell me what you need and then if you are going to do some kind of full moon ritual how do you feel about observers and my heart was just like swelling massively <laughs> and I was like how did I how did I manage to get caring chaplains because a lot of the time the experiences we get in in hospitals and and prisons and other settings where there's chaplaincy services as pagans those are less than pleasant experiences like you've just indicated Amy um so I was, I was very lucky. I wrote them a very long thank you letter when I finally got out. Um, you know, and, you know, one of the things that they were interested in was how, you know, in, in some minds, it's like compassion and witchcraft are two different things. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you can if you can fully understand compassion and empathy and how to work from that place, then that gives your witchcraft added power. 
or at least that's that's how I view it in my in my practice mm-hmm. um because you know it's not the power over or the power over it's the power with it's fully seeing somebody so you know I was in hospital I had this mentally ill lady on the ward and I was just like constantly going okay so how can I extend more compassion how can I extend more grace even while she's terrifying me because now she's got hold of a knife at tea time (laughs) yeah so it was constantly that but there was also a lot of protection work that went on in that particular hospital stay um and you know I was very thankful to the internet because you know I would hate to have been in a hospital setting during a pandemic without the internet. Because at least the internet meant I could FaceTime people. I could have Zoom calls with with people. Um, So I wasn't fully disconnected, um, you know, from from the people I love. Um, Even if my in-laws were ringing me and keeping me on the phone for like an hour and a half and I'm slowly getting more and more tired mm-hmm. because phone calls exhaust me. Um, I was very grateful for technology. Um, but disability in paganism I have found that to be such a mixed bag in terms of how we as a community hold that and handle it. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of, so in Western society in particular, right? Perfectionism is very high up there with productivity Mm -hmm. and both of those are ableist concepts yes and there's naturally some overflow of that into pagan circles into groves into covens into festivals and and witch camps and open rituals and closed rituals and all this all of that um and I remember having very, two very different but very similar conversations after I was diagnosed. One was at my knitting club. I finally made it back to my knitting club after a while. And one of the ladies said to me, um, it's a good job you weren't planning on having children because you can't have sex anymore. Um. And I was like, presumptive much and (laughs) I hardly know you so get out of my business right yeah informed consent and boundaries yeah right and shortly afterwards I had a conversation with a with a pagan I I vaguely know who was a similar thing how are you going to cope now you can't do magic and I was like just because I'm disabled that doesn't mean I can't have sex and it doesn't mean I can't do magic in, in terms of the magic, you know, and I, I, I think, love him or hate him, 
value him or not, Scott Cunningham has had an impact here because in, I think it was Living Wicker, he mentioned that if you are sick, the only types of spells you should be doing are self-healing spells. I hated that. No other magic. No other magic allowed. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that is a rather ableist attitude because it assumes there will be an end to your sickness. Mm -hmm. So you have just automatically made it so that people who live with chronic pain, chronic illness, can't, in inverted commas, do magic. Now that's obviously Scott's opinion at the point of time when he was writing. But a lot of people, it's amazing, isn't it? How many people read a book and assume it's gospel? Yes. And it's like, this is not the only one way of doing things. Um, I hear a lot of times people are under the impression that because they have been prescribed you know, SSRIs or MAOIs or other you know, mood, stabilizing drugs that they can't do magic and and they can't do magic because oh. of this and they can't do magic. like please stop telling people that like this is not a, it's not a thing no it's so. not it's it's it, life is life is hard enough for us disabled pagans okay life is hard enough for disabled witches please do not add extra barriers to stuff that makes us feel good yeah and how many people think about whether or not their house is wheelchair accessible I mean, we're, we, we don't have big churches that have the budgets for a wheelchair ramp. We don't have mm. those amenities as a smaller disparate community. We don't have those individual places of worship. So we're meeting at friends' houses and we're meeting in the woods. And how, man, how many of these places are wheelchair accessible? Very few. Yeah. Even if you have a rancher, there's usually a step or two to get into the home. There's always going to be some difference there. We had a... Uh, a friend of mine who is a part of our group we would actually meet out back of her home because we had created a it's probably a 15 foot ritual circle with pavers and the inset space for a bonfire that way anyone who was disabled didn't have to bother trying to get into the house to go outside it just we're, we're just using the side yard here come back there there yeah. have to be ways for people who are moving around at different speeds, different paces and different ability levels to all be able to come together because otherwise you're leaving out an entire segment of your population and it's it's not okay. Um, we, yeah. had, we had a member of our group who um, was in a, a motorcycle accident and lost his eyes. Um, this, is, this is the way he describes it. So, uh, and it's so interesting how many times we talk about visualization or using words that are completely derived of visual speech. You know, aphantasia, um, folks that are blind, like there are people who cannot, they're not going to be able to visualize no matter how many cute flowery words you use. We have to figure out how to better serve all of our communities, not just the able-bodied ones. Yeah, precisely. And it's not just it's like you say it's not just mobility issues it's some people will be hard of hearing some people might not see very well mm -hmm. um like you say visualization can be an issue for people um if you if you are neurodivergent <laughs> like i am um mm -hmm. then then you know 
making sense of things, I can make these massive intuitive leaps, but no one can figure out how I got from point A to point B, but in <laughs> my mind, it makes sense, um, you know? And actually having ritual directions that are clear enough for people who process things at different rates or at mm -hmm. different um, abilities, yeah? Um, that's important. Allowing for points in the ritual where, you know, somebody, you know, allowing for seating. So many rituals allow, you know, insist that you stand. It's like, well, you know, if you're somebody who can't stand that well due to age or disability, then can we have a seat available? Even if it's just a perching stool, can we have something available? You know, um, if it's if it's someone who doesn't hear that well, can we have um, an interpreter of some form present who is happy to be in circle, or can one of your coven members learn sign language so that they can communicate with you better? You know, all of those sorts of things. If you are organizing a large open ritual somewhere, how accessible is your ritual ground? How, how close can a car get to it? Um, what is the terrain like? Are there options for pausing and resting? In you know, some people like myself, if we are, if I am walking, I can only walk in stages. I will walk a certain distance, then I'll have to stop and have a pause and a breather and then carry on. Um, you know, what, what arrangements have you made or considerations have you made if you did need to call an emergency ambulance? What allowances have you made for food allergies? Um, things like that. Um, these are all things that need to be considered that people may not necessarily take into account when thinking I'm going to plan a ritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to do a hand fasting. It's going to be like this. Thinking back, if I had been disabled when my husband and I got married, we couldn't have had our hand fasting ritual the way that we had it. We, we were legally married and we were also hand fast. Um, the, and you know, the, the actual wedding ceremony was inside, the hand fasting ritual was outside. Um, and thinking back over it now, I'm like, yeah, every, everyone that came to that was able-bodied. Some of them had hidden disabilities, but if we'd had to do that now, we would have had a whole new set of um, requirements that we would have needed to take into account in terms of, you know, terrain accessibility how far people could walk etc you know um things like that and i think sometimes that gets overlooked um and as a community it's like we we can't if we've got disabled members of our community coming to our rituals and let's be honest you know some people are still in the closet with their disabilities. Mm -hmm. Some people's disabilities are not obvious. You know, they're invisible or they like to keep them a private thing. Um, you know, we, we, 
we as a community can't assume that we know what's best for that disabled person. Absolutely not. There's and guidelines available from, you know, other, you know, more mundane venue organisers as to how to make sure your venue is accessible from a generic disabled person's uh, attendees point of view. Um, but there's other things you have to take into account if you're going to be in magical circle. The disabled members of our community are already dealing with trust issues. How do I trust my body again after this? How do I trust my energetic system again after this, after having this diagnosis, after having this accident? How do I know my body's not going to let me down in the middle of this ritual? Yeah. How, how is my pacing? I've slept for three days in the run-up to this ritual so that I can attend, so that I will have energy. I'm trusting that that's going to be enough to help me get through the ritual. Please, pagan community, don't give us cause to also not trust the community. We can learn from each other. You know, the community can learn from its disabled members and its disabled members can learn to trust the community and to give advice. We can have generic instructions and recommendations, more so than instructions, I guess, recommendations for if you have someone who is partially sighted, if you have someone with hearing difficulties, if you have someone with mobility difficulties, but then go granular. Find out from the individuals that are attending what they best need. I went to a book signing recently. Um, my husband is amazing. He, he helps me get to so many different things um, so that I can still participate. And I went to a book signing for um, Gallant by V.E. Schwab, who was an absolutely amazing author. And um, it was being held in a church. And when I talked to the bookstore toppings in Edinburgh, who um, were handling the event, they were like, what do you need? And I was like, I'm an ambulatory wheelchair user, so I will need a ramp. I'm happy to stay in my wheelchair if that's easy. I can transfer to a chair if there's no space for my wheelchair. And they were like, okay, do you need line of sight? Do you need to be close by to, to hear? Do you, do, you have, do you have any hearing issues? Do you need a hearing loop? And we went through absolutely everything. And obviously they had had quite a great deal of disability training. Mm -hmm. um, which was absolutely wonderful. And there were several wheelchair users at this event in the end. There was like 300 people there, were all masked up, <laughs> you know, um, and it was really nice to see the staff attend to the wheelchair users and other members of the congregation, congregation, <laughs> other members of the, because <laughs> I mentioned church, other, men other members of other attendees of the event, um, you know, if they had, walking sticks or anything else that would indicate that they needed assistance you know whether it be we have a scheme in the UK for invisible illnesses called the sunflower lanyard um it's a specially colored lan lan lanyard oh excuse me that you wear around your neck mm -hmm. um and it can indicate that you've got an invisible disability and that you might need assistance so you know there were a few people sporting those and it was just really nice because it was like, you know, the, 
the staff at the event were like, is this, is this position okay for you in your wheelchair? Do you need anything? Do you need water? The accessible toilet is over there. You've got a clear route to it, etc. We haven't put anything in your way. All of those sorts of things was absolutely like spot on, above and beyond amazing. And when you get to go to events like that, and there is the care. I mean, I remember going to a Taylor Swift concert um, in 2017 for her Reputation Stadium tour. And the staff in the disabled section were absolutely amazing. They were like, if at any point it's too loud and you need a quiet room, we do have a quiet room nearby that you can go to if it's you know if sensory processing is an issue mm -hmm. if you need water you know snacks anything like that just let us know we will get them for you you know if your carer is away from their seat they've gone to the bathroom whatever and you need something you can just ask us you know That's they were beautiful. on hand all the time and it was absolutely amazing and it meant that I could you know see my favorite singer uh singer songwriter you know and enjoy my evening, knowing that both my husband was there to look after me, but also this amazing group of staff were there, you know? Um, and yeah, I was probably one of the oldest people in the disabled section because everyone else was like, you know, there, were, there was a six-year-old girl and a, an eight-year-old girl and, you know, some teenagers in wheelchairs and stuff. And it was, it, it was absolutely amazing because they treated us all as though we were people rather than in wheelchairs or disabled people. And that's not to say, don't treat us as disabled people. Acknowledge that we're people and recognize that we have a disability. One of the things that I, I get really irritated with is when people say, oh, I don't, I don't view your, I, I don't see you as being disabled. And it's like, <laughs> can appreciate why you're saying that <laughs> but at the same time you are invalidating a core part of my identity so please see it recognize that it's there if you've got questions ask me I tend to be one of the more open people when somebody says you know can I just ask what that feels like or can I just ask you know how does this manifest for you I will answer your questions but don't take me as the poster child for multiple sclerosis or transverse myelitis because everyone's experience of these conditions is different yes um and again you know just because you may have been to an event and there was a disabled pagan there and you spoke to them that doesn't mean that that is true for all disabled pagans because everyone will need something different and you know, you mentioned earlier about going to your witchy store around the corner. Mm -hmm. And it's like access to books, to supplies, that's harder. Excuse me. Yes, yes, we have access to the internet so we can order things online. That's good. But often there's a price increase. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that if I order herbs or crystals or something from Etsy, that's going to be more expensive than if I'd just gone to the crystal shop, for example. Um, 
one of the things that changed about my magical practice was I used to have a huge witch's apothecary. Um, we had a, we have a like a utility room off the kitchen and I filled the cupboards in there with lots of jars of different herbs. And I think I had something like 220 different herbs and spices in there at one point because I was really going for gold on the how many <laughs> can I possibly use in my magical practice. Since becoming disabled, I have really adopted the keep it simple approach. Mm-hmm. And it's a case of if I cannot get that herb or spice from the supermarket, then I am replacing it with something that I can get from the supermarket. Because if I can get it from the culinary section, I can buy a jar of of cardamom pods or cinnamon sticks or parsley, then that is what is gonna get used. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like I'm gonna be looking for bat's head root amongst the culinary section. (laughs) You know, and if I need bat's head root for anything, then what are my alternatives? What am I, what type of spell am I, am I working? What's the intention? What's the magical properties of those, of that herb? What fits the bill that's not that herb? I totally have an an accessibility secret hidden in uh, Blackburn Botanical Magic. In the back is a recipe index. So everything's broken down by intention so you need a banishing spell they're all here you need a healing spell they're all over here but when i wrote it i did the indexing double virgo like it's a whole thing like i had written, <laughs> i was writing the index as i was writing the book so but at that stage there's no page numbers because we don't know what it's going to look like we have no idea so what i went through is i put every recipe in its position in the book by the plant that it goes with. So I had a recipe for anger into action and that's found in cardamom. So you go to cardamom and you look for that recipe. But what that did was it made a ready-made list of uh, magical substitutions just on the line. And I'm like, this is is fantastic. Why do more people not do things like this? And one of the first first, uh, four-star reviews that (laughs) Botanical Magic got, she was like, you know, I wish it had an index. It's in the back where indexes go. <laughs> like it's right there. Uh, every time we try and make something a little more accessible, someone complains that it's not exactly the way they thought it should be. There's, there's a world of experiences out there. I mean, I am really thankful that you were able to go and get married here in the U.S. If you're on disability, you go and get married, you lose all of your benefits. They expect you're allowed to have two thousand dollars to your name any ever, ever. If you have two thousand dollars, you completely lose your access forever. So mm. I was told to sell my home to pay for my medical care. Okay, well then where will I live? That's not our problem. Mm. It's, yeah, it's really upsetting the <laughs> the things that we have to be expected to do just to make it in our day to day lives. Yeah, I mean, I was I was really stressed about um, getting a wheelchair because mm-hmm. you can get a wheelchair on the the NHS, um, but there's a waiting list, 
and you have to be approved for chairs and all that kind of stuff. And it takes a long time. And that really stressed me out. And we were fortunate enough to be able to save up and then commission a chair for me, which it, it wasn't in terms of in terms of it's only a manual wheelchair. It's not a it's not a powered one. So it was relatively low cost in inverted mm-hmm. commas. Um, it cost just over, I think, two thousand pounds. Which sounds like it both sounds like a lot of money, but also is not a lot of money, depending on the perspective you're looking at. You know, right. it's a lot of money to, um, you know, a family, uh, you know, a disabled person. But in the scheme of wheelchairs that can run into tens or even hundreds of thousands of pounds, it's not mm-hmm. a, it's not a lot of money. Um, and I stressed about that. But then I was like, hang on, hang on. You have disabled friends in the US and they have to pay for everything mm-hmm. even if there's from what i understand even if there's medical insurance oh yeah there's still outlay there's still outlay that you have to pay and i'm like i am well aware that my i i get a every every month or so i get a an infusion of a medication mm-hmm. disease modifying therapy for ms and i am well aware that that costs in the region of 1500 to 2000 pounds per infusion mm. and i'm like every time i have that infusion i am like gratitude spells a plenty <laughs> yeah. because i'm like without that medicine without the pain relief that I have on a daily basis I would not be able to function Mm -hmm. you know it's good that I'm on that particular infusion but on the flip side you have to be quite ill with MS to be able to qualify for it so it's it's a it's a two-headed coin and I'm like I I see on my Facebook feed on my Instagram feed you know on social media in general you know I see friends talking about it on TikTok their experiences vary to mine in relation to the level of, of healthcare that they get even within the UK yeah that you know the, there is a bit of a postcode lottery for certain conditions you know certain conditions we um are closer to neurological centers than others you know um some some areas of the UK do not have the staff uh to be able to make home visits MS nursing teams and things like that mm-hmm. um but i'm aware that in terms of us to uk we have this amazing thing called the national health service versus the state of the health service in the us which is not geared towards benefiting the individual patient yeah so I have a lot of empathy for you guys. And I'm like, the one thing, if I had one superpower, the one thing I would do would be free healthcare for all, everywhere in the world, free at point of access, no fees anywhere, no matter, no matter what it was. We would figure out different ways of funding it. Um, and if I was a billionaire, that's what I would sink my money into rather than trying to get into space. Um, 
you know or yeah or Twitter um, <laughs> you know because some things are, some things are more important yeah some yeah. things are more important um and health health is one of them health is one of them you know and and even on my bad days even on days when I am ill I can't get out of bed my legs might not be working properly that day you know some days I wake up and it's like oh I am numb from the waist down and nothing wants to work I literally can't move my legs on days like that there's there's all even on days like that there's always some kind of magic going on I do a lot of energy work now because you know I I have less access to tools mm-hmm. um you know, I keep a couple of crystals by my bed, a couple of um, herbs that I use often. I always have a tarot deck by the side of the bed anyway. Um, you know, and, and you learn to improvise. I, th- I think that's the main thing that I, the key takeaway that I've had as a disabled witch is improvisation. Yes. Because suddenly you're reading a spell and you're thinking this spell is assuming a lot or this ritual is assuming a lot about my mobility. It's assuming a lot about my financial ability. It's assuming a lot, you know, and things like that. So I'm always, whenever somebody says to me, have you got a spell for X? I'm like, probably, but I can just write you one on the spot. (laughs) Um, Or I can recommend things. Now I'm like, okay, rather than recommending, that you get this mystical herb from whichever part of the globe, which is not a sustainable way of doing things, both in terms of pocket and in, per, in terms of eco mm-hmm. ecosystems and eco, ecology and all that and environment. Let's find something that's locally accessible to you. You know, um, I planted, I, we have a, thi- a firethorn hedge in our garden. Mm-hmm. There's lots of reasons for that firethorn hedge because it does lots of different things magically. <laughs> um, we have a beech tree. We have a rowan tree in the garden. And I'm very lucky to be able to say that because some people don't even have gardens. But, you know, looking at what you have access to locally, um, what you can get from your supermarket, you know, the number of times we have ordered groceries and I have added on magical ingredients. I'm like, we also we also need um, some ginger root, uh, some powdered cinnamon would be good, uh, <laughs> you know. And they get added to the shopping list because that's the most accessible way of me getting those magical ingredients. Um, you know. <sighs> having to improvise and work your way around things and having a much, um, more flexible viewpoint to how you work your magic, yeah? So it's like, you know, I cannot carry liquids up and down the stairs. So mm. I can't make a cup, of, a cup of tea and then carry it upstairs because I will spill it everywhere because I'm wobbly on stairs and often need two banisters to help me get up. So one way around this was because the home office is upstairs, my husband very kindly cleared space on the end end of a unit and made me a tea making station with a kettle. Um, But also it's things like, 
um, because because my main ritual space is in one of the spare bedrooms here. And again, I'm I'm very lucky to be able to say that. Um, you know, it's it's things like I know I will be doing ritual tonight. I know my husband's working late. So the night before, I might say to him, can you make sure that that bottle of pomegranate juice is upstairs at the tea station for me so that I can then use it in ritual later? Or can you make sure that the long matches that we use in the kitchen, I've got a supply of those upstairs? You know, and, and just being able to modify things as you go. Um, you know, I have had all the intentions of doing, you know, I'll have a cleansing bath. I will get out. I will intend to do the magic. Often what happens is I will get the bath and the magic gets improvised while I'm sat in the bath because I'm running out of energy. Yes. And I do not have enough energy to then get out of the bath, get dry and go and do ritual. So it's a case of, OK, so I'm sat in the bathroom. We have a candle. And me and water. <laughs> we've already we've already put salt in the water the the water's already got herbs in it and bubble bath okay we've got a candle we're doing this we're gonna we, you know scratch the fact that all my supplies are laid out in the other room ready all within like reaching distance and best you know so that i can get to things without having to strain myself actually what we're going to do we're going to do it right here right now i've got a white candle there we go that's going to have to work And this is one of the upsides of being a disabled witch, stupidly enough, is learning that you don't necessarily need all the bangs and whistles and the tools. Yes. Yeah. Um, Granny Weatherwax in, in Terry Pratchett's uh, Discworld books with her headology and her, this is a wooden spoon, this will do. Um, that is often like the poster child for disabled witchery is like, what have I got immediately to hand? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I do not have time or energy to do a full spell or a full ritual on, you know, helping my helping me express myself better if I'm going to be doing some kind of, I don't know, podcast interview or <laughs> or speaking to a group of people. I do have lip balm. So let's enchant the lip balm and then put some on. And that will have to be my spell rather than the full old, right? Okay, expression spell is usually what? A blue, a blue candle and, and something, some herb that's, that's related to self-expression, you know, anything like that, you know? It's like, don't have that. I have lip balm. That will have to do. <laughs> Improvisation right. is one of the, the plus points to being a disabled witch, I guess, um, because it really hits, it, despite what people will tell you about the fact that you can or can't do magic if you do this. If you're on this medication, you can't do magic. What? You know, if you're sick, you can't do magic. Uh, if you're depressed, you can't do magic. Oh, for pity's sake. Yeah. Um, it really drives home the concept of the magic is in you. Mm -hmm. You are the magic. You don't need all the tools and whatnot. You don't. If having a wand, an affirme, uh, whatever helps you focus, if you prefer to work with herbs, if you prefer to work with crystals, if you like to use oils or flower essences or <laughs> insert 
you know, green ally or stone people here or whatever, yeah, then that's fine. But remembering that the magic is in you. I mean, I wear a, I wear a lot of jewelry specifically for whatever's going on that day that I'm, you know, if I'm intending to be somewhere, there will be magical jewelry gone on with particular enchantments woven in that sort of thing so that I've got portable magic on the go. But also just reminding myself that the magic is in me. Yes, I have physical limitations, but my body is just the physical housing for the energy and the magic that is me. So those physical limitations might slow me down, but they do not define how I use my magic. Beautiful. And that is something that, disabled or not, disabled or not, all witches, magic users, occultists, pagans, fill in the gap. However you choose to connect with and express your magic, reminding yourself that you are the magic is, is the key thing. You can have three months practice, you can have 30 odd years practice, you can be a natural witch, you can be, everyone's a natural witch for crying out loud. You know, you just, you just, have, you know, tap into it. Um, don't allow yourself to get limited by what your body, what your physical body can do. I know that mental illness in particular can be really um, obstructive because I have days when my, you know, I get visited from the depression fairy, bop on the head, there we go, nothing is happening, yeah? And it's often a day when my body's like, I could do all the things. And my brain is like, yeah, you wanna bet? We're gonna just replay everything that you have failed at in your entire life and make you sob into your duvet, yeah? Um, so I get that, you know, we're not just talking physical limitations. We're also talking, all the stuff that goes on in our wonderful little powerhouses of brains and our powerhouses that is our is our gut as well um and those can often remind us that we are limited but i think that that can be also incredibly humbling because when you're working with magic when you're working with energy when you're working with power it can be very easy to slip into a place of ego and I think that when you are fully embodying your spirituality and your magical practice, that is one of the things that keeps us humble and reminds us that, yes, we, we are energetic beings, but we're also human. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. Even on days when my body is going can't do this today try again tomorrow (laughs) call back later yeah call back later (laughs) i've rambled i am so sorry no no Um, no, please this is this is the kind of understanding and conversation i really wanted to have around this subject uh in the last couple minutes is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to get to oh everyone's practice is different yes so i've just probably rambled for a great deal of time and it makes no sense to (laughs) a particular pagan who's listening to this podcast and for that i am sorry 
Um, I can only talk about my own lived experiences. Yes. Um, but I'm always interested in hearing lived experiences from other pagans, disabled pagans, disabled witches, whatever. Um, I think one of the things that I really want to normalize as part of the disabled witch experience, and this is going to be so out of left field that some people are going to get whiplash, <laughs> but um, it's using, it's normalizing the concept of having a plushie or a stuffy as an adult. The importance of a plush soft toy as an adult. It's comforting. If you're in hospital, it's companionship. If you are a witch or a magical user or an energy user, Reiki practitioner, whatever, you can enchant that stuffed toy for self-healing. So you can use it as a sympathetic, magical focus for your own body. Beautiful. Because there will be days when you can't put your hands on yourself because it hurts too damn much. But you can hold a stuffy. I have a, I have a stuffed polar bear. He actually has his own Instagram nice. uh, feed. Um, but I have a stuffed polar bear. And whenever, you know, I need him, which is on a regular basis because my emotions can go everywhere. Um, he's there. And he doubles as kind of like a, a focal point for any energy work I'm doing for self-healing. And he also, you know, gets protection magic and stuff like that woven into him for if we end up in a hospital setting. Um, so, you know, I really want to normalise the concept of adults using plushies, but also witches using plushies. So it's kind of like a double thing. Um, <laughs> because it's nothing to be ashamed of and it's a really powerful way of using healing magic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm in my forties, I have a plushie, I have several, um, you know, and I will take my, my plushie, my um, polar bear predominantly into hospital with me for anything. Um, and not to forget the magic that is found in comfort. If you can get to a point where your body is comfortable, then accessing your magic can be easier. Accessing your energy can be easier because you're not fighting the chronic pain as much or you're not fighting that particular area of your body that much. You can relax for a little bit. Um, And just really to remember that any kind of limitations your ill health disability mental health whatever any kind of limitations it puts on you does not define you and it does not define your magical practice i guess that's that's the key thing that i would strive to drive home to people and self-care is a must. <laughs> yes. Look after yourself. Look after, you know, listen to your body and what she, he, they need. Um, your body will always tell you what they need. 
Whether we want them to or not. Yeah, yeah. And don't, you know, if you've been sat for four hours on, in the chair and your body is screaming at you that you need the bathroom, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. You know, prove to your body that you trust it and it and she, he, they can trust you. Um, and that's a really empowering gift that you can give to yourself. Um, those would be key takeaways, I think. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I, uh, I've, I've wanted to have a discussion surrounding these topics, but it's so hard to make sure that not only is it done well, but it's helping people who are feeling these things and don't have an avenue to express them. So I, I want those people to know that they're not alone. And uh, indeed, yeah. Remind us where we yeah. can find you if you want to continue this conversation. Uh, I'm my website is heathwitch.com. And I'm at Heathwitch on Instagram and TikTok and mostly every social media combined. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you. This has been really uh, interesting and affirming and a great way to spend my afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I am really thankful that you've been here and I will see you online. Thank you so much for coming by. But you will. Take care. Remember, we're all trees in the forest. Nurture each other.